2 uh, Timothy again this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, we're going to pick up right where we left off. We're going to be at verse 8. We're going to go down to verse 10, and we're going to look at our holy calling. Isn't it, I mean, sometimes we wander through, I, I, uh, I don't know how it is for any of you guys, but sometimes in the work that I'm doing, I'm flying blind. I don't really know what I, what's in store for me for the day. Anybody have days like that? Uh, well, thank God that we as Christians have a holy calling that we're called to, and it's very clear. We're going to look at that here today. So if you don't mind, I'll read our passage. Uh, we'll have a word of prayer, and we'll get looking at it. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 starts like this. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which is given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but, now, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for giving us a clear calling. A calling that you established before the foundation of the earth. It's humbling to think of. We ask that you'll bless us with your Holy Spirit as he guides us through your word here this morning. There's an awful lot in this passage. Make it clear and help us to apply it to our lives. Help it to inspire us to go forth with this gospel. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So we're starting in verse 8. And today, at verse 8, we begin a section in the book of 2 Timothy, which is really just one sentence in the Greek. And that one sentence, Paul's famous for these really long sentences sometimes. He starts at the top of verse 8, and he goes all the way down through verse 12. I'm going to break it off at verse 10. Uh, for time purposes here today, but the truth is from verse 8 all the way to verse 12 is one continuous thought, and you do well to bear that in mind. We're going to look at verse 11 and 12 next time, uh, but try to bear that in mind between this week and next that it's actually one sentence, it's one thought that we're working on. And it's a particularly beautiful passage that as God uses Paul to describe some of what it means to be a Christian. So let's look at how he kicks off. He starts right off. He says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. He starts right off with another therefore. Uh, that's the Greek word own, O-U-N, which of course means that everything that we're about to read in this sentence comes as a result of what we just finished reading. Whenever you see therefore, that's what therefore means. It means what you are about to look at relies upon what you just finished looking at. So let's think back. What did we just finish looking at? We were talking about some of the powers that God blessed Timothy with through his Holy Spirit. Remember? We talked about that last week. And because of those blessings, Timothy 
ought to be able to banish any lack of zeal in the gospel. And instead, he ought to be able to lock arms with Paul, even if it may lead to some suffering on Timothy's part. That's what, so let's read verse 8 again as we think about those thoughts. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Now when Paul says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, I can only think, and I probably a lot of you are thinking of the same thing, think of what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, right? Where he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Remember? Let's look at it. I'm getting a dazed look. Let's go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He's saying the same thing, but it's a different... He's taking a positive spin in Romans where he's taking a negative spin in 2 Timothy. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Notice that when he's writing that, he's talking about shame of the gospel and he's coupling it with power. Look over to 2 Timothy, verse 8. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to what? The power of God. We're coupling our lack of shame in the gospel with the power of God. That's very important. Now, this Greek word for ashamed here, it's a Greek word, it's very long, it's very hard to pronounce, so I'm not going to. And Paul's the only person to use it in the whole New Testament. And he only uses it five times. It's not used very often. He uses it twice in Romans. One we just read, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He uses it again in Romans 6.21, We don't have to look that up right now, but I'm giving you the references if you want to look at them yourself. He uses it uh, twice in, or three times in 2 Timothy. Right here, he's going to use it next week when we get to verse 12. He says, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. And then if we were to skip down to verse 16, he says, The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. Those are all five times that Paul uses this. Uh, It's a very specific word. There's other times when ashamed is used, but it's a different word. When Paul tells Timothy to not be ashamed, what he's actually doing is he's calling him to show boldness. That's what this means. Show bold, not only not be ashamed, but show boldness in two different aspects. And we're going to look at it as we break this down. First of all, he should be bold in regard to the martyrion, the testimony of our Lord. When he says testimony, the word is martyrion. Hopefully that rings, I've mentioned it to you before, that should ring a bell, right? What does the, the beginning of that sound like? Martyr? Martyr? That's what uh, Paul means when he says testimony, by the way. We've talked a lot about this word testimony. We use the term today when we're in a courtroom setting, right? 
the testimony of the witness come forward, and, and they come forward and they give their testimony, right? Uh, in the Old Testament, we see it several times mentioned that only the testimony of two or three witnesses was going to be accepted. If it was just one eyewitness, sorry, your testimony is no good. We need to have the testimony of at least two, preferably three, to anything to hold up in a court. And Jesus reiterated that same principle. If you go to Matthew chapter 18, verses 16 to 20, Jesus is going to talk about that. I'll let Brother Fisher talk about that when he gets there. You can read it yourself this afternoon if you want to preview it and study it. And Paul speaks about that concept in several different locations. I've gone over it with you before. So, as I've already mentioned, when we're talking about testimony today, in the church setting, typically, we're often talking about somebody's unique personal experience, right? Give me your testimony, your Christian testimony. And we talk about their, our salvation experience, right? Different kind of concept. But biblically speaking, a testimony is something which was observed publicly. Observed publicly in front of everybody. And see, that's the importance of baptism being done not in a baptistry per se, in a church hidden, cloistered away from everybody. The importance of baptism being done out in the open in front of everybody as a testimony to the world around. So when Paul speaks of our Lord's testimony, let's bring it back to where we are today. I've kind of beat around the bush here. Now let's bring it back to our Lord's testimony. We need to remember that Jesus didn't die for our sins in secret down some back alley, did he? And after the crucifixion and after the resurrection, did he only appear before a select few? Well, maybe Peter, James, John, them... Those guys, I mean, those are the three good ones, and you guys can spread the rest of the word. No, Jesus' testimony was a public testimony, wasn't it? Jesus' testimony was a public testimony. In Acts chapter 4, and verse 20, let's back up and take a look at that one. This is one I do want to look at. This is Peter and John talking. I'm going to back up to verse 19. I'm jumping right in the middle of the story, and I apologize for that. And Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. See, Peter and John were basically on, on trial, the Jews. The Jews had said, hey, you've got to stop preaching about this Jesus guy. He's dead, he's gone, he's not here anymore. Stop talking about him. And Peter and John said, we can't help but talk about what we've seen and heard. And here, Paul is telling Timothy that he ought to be open and forthright about the gospel, which is now, at this point, the point of Paul's writing, mid-60s A.D., it's been proclaimed all across the Roman Empire and indeed beyond the Roman Empire. Uh, at this point, people have dispersed. Paul himself has been all over the Roman Empire. And at this point, Thomas tradition tells us, has already gone to India. The gospel's gone to India with uh, the Apostle Thomas, and Matthew's already gone to Ethiopia. Anybody ever look into whatever happened to the disciples after uh, the resurrection? 
it's worth your while to take a look at where did each one of them end up going. There's two of them. Uh, we already know about where Paul went because it's all recorded in the book of Acts. So those, those three are easy. I just gave you two. Now, it would be perfectly understandable why Timothy might be ashamed of Paul, right? Just back up to verse. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. And we can understand why Timothy might be ashamed of Paul. Paul's in prison for the sake of the gospel. Paul is about to be executed. He's on death row. Paul could be seen as somebody we'd rather not talk about. Put it into our personal lives. Generally in our personal life, we don't brag about those family members who may be in and out of jail from time to time, right? We've all got somebody who may be a, a little bit of a rough life in, their, in your family or relations or something like that, extended family. We don't generally brag about them, do we? Same thing with Paul. Paul's been bouncing around. He's been in every jail in the Roman Empire. Philippi, uh, he's been stoned, left for dead, all kinds of places. He's not the sort of person you want to brag about. We can understand why Timothy might not be too open about Paul. And another thing, it really isn't safe for Timothy to associate himself with Paul either, is it? Now, Timothy was with Paul at some of those times. There's reason to believe that Timothy was right there when Paul was stoned at one point. I can back up and give you that story if I want to, but we really don't have time for it. It's not really safe to be associated with Paul. Bad things happen around Paul. Paul's a criminal. Paul's a disturber of the peace. Paul's on death row. He's not a safe guy to hang out with. In fact, to stand up and to identify with Paul takes a great deal of courage, doesn't it? Takes a great deal of courage. As we're going to see when we get down to verse 16. Let's do a little preview we see Onesiphorus, we already read it, he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. And Paul gives him a tip of the hat here. But power, love, and self-discipline, like we talked about last week, remember, that's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God gives us, is a spirit of power, love, and of a sound mind, as the King James says, and we talked about how that, that means self-disciplined. Those are the gifts of God, and those ought to steal Timothy up to stand firm in his calling and to not be ashamed. And you and I ought to do the same thing because it's no different. If we have a victory, if we have success in our Christian walk, we had not to sit back and admire it. Wow, that sure was great. That's not what we ought to do. We ought to use that as a launching pad to do something even greater, right? Hey, that was pretty good. I wonder what God's going to do today. That's how we ought to approach things like that. And if something seems to be a setback, we shouldn't just sit around, mope, and moan either, right? You know, I think as I was working on these notes, I couldn't help but think of, you remember the show Hee Haw that used to be on? 
Remember when the jug band used to sit around there and gloom, despair, and agony on me? That's not how we ought to be when we have a setback either, right? We ought to look back on how God's blessed us in the past and move forward. Yeah, we all have setbacks. You guys have had setbacks before, right? You know what a setback is? We ought to make sure that we look back on the past, realize that God has blessed us in the past. Yep, we've got another setback here, but let's keep plugging. See, God's grace is more than enough to allow us to step forward for the sake of the gospel. And Paul isn't stupid. Paul knows that what he's telling Timothy right now is risky and difficult. To be associated with Paul and the ministry that Paul's been doing and preaching the gospel that Paul's been preaching all over the Roman Empire, you're taking a risk if you're associating with that. And it's difficult. I'll put it out for consideration that to take the same sort of stand today is kind of risky. It may be a little difficult. It's not as risky and difficult as it is in some parts of the world. Some parts of the world, you literally will be killed for it. I was just just listening to Voice of the Martyrs radio last night that in the last month, 4,600 people were killed in West Africa for the sake of the gospel. 4,600 were killed last month. There's a risk entailed. I mean, in America, you'll get banned off Twitter or something like that, but... uh, there's a risk. And Paul tells Timothy, he, he's not stupid, he says, there's, this is going to be some risk. He says, be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. That's exactly what I want to sign up for. Yeah, I want to be, those afflictions you're suffering, Paul? Yeah, how can I get a share in that? I want to be a co-sufferer with you, Paul. Remember, Paul's facing execution as he's writing this. Timothy, sign up to, you you too can be on death row, Timothy. (laughs) And by the way, in case you were paying attention, this is the first command in the book of 2 Timothy. First command, be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. I told you when we launched this book that we're going to see 33 more before this book's done. There's 34 commands in the book of 2 Timothy that I've been able to find. This is the first one. Be a partaker of the afflictions. Isn't that interesting? But is this just suffering for suffering's sake? Just any old suffering? that We ought, we ought to suffer. Uh, we hadn't ought to have good times. Now, uh, you may laugh as I say that, but some monks and some ascetic types in history have taught exactly that, that we ought to punish ourselves just so that we can suffer. And they call it suffering for the gospel. And that's not right. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Because he's pointing out that this is partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Don't miss that phrase. This power of God is what will bring us through the suffering. 
And in fact, if the truth were known, it's the power of God that got us into the suffering in the first place. That's the nature of the suffering that we're talking about here. See, if I can bring the suffering on myself, some of these old monks used to put on a hair shirt and they'd beat themselves with a whip, you know, beat yourself across the back with a whip, they called themselves flagellates. Uh, if I can bring the suffering on myself, then I can bring the suffering off myself, can't I? I can take the hair shirt off and I can stop beating myself. I'm, I'm in control of the situation. But if it comes by God's power, and for the sake of God's gospel, then it takes God's power to get me out of it too. And I need to rely on God to bring me through. And that puts a whole different mindset on it. I can't just shut it off with a switch. So let's move along to verse 9. We're talking about God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which is, was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now, as we mentioned in the beginning today, this is one long sentence in the Greek, and it ends in verse 12. Here's an interesting note for you, or at least I find it interesting. Verse 8 speaks of not being ashamed. And verse 12 speaks of being unashamed. I'll, I'll give you a preview. Anybody want a preview for next time? I'll give it to you anyway. For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. So it's encapsulated, both ends of the sentence are talking about being ashamed. And here in verse 9, we see the key that makes it all possible. Do you see what makes our unashamedness possible? Any guesses? God! It's God! That's right. The power of God who hath saved us and called us. We don't have to be ashamed because it's God who saved us and it's God who called us. That ought to be our motivation to continue to pursue the gospel regardless of any cost. The day may come where even here in America we have to face death for the gospel. That may come. We're not there now. Other people, our brothers and sisters around the world, are facing that every day. They're facing that this morning. They'll be facing it this afternoon. They'll face it tomorrow. See, we don't need any fancy gimmicks to share the gospel. All we need to do is testify what God has done for us. God saved me, and God called me to do what I'm doing right now. So what has he done? What has he done? Well, he saved us, first of all. He saved us. And besides that, he called us to a holy calling. Those are two things. Now, we aren't just called to just anything, are we? We're called to a very special, very specific task. And in light of that holy calling that we have, we ought to live a holy life, too, hadn't we? I'm called to a specific task. I ought to live a life in line with that task. This calling ought to show up in every single aspect of how I live my life. 
no matter what. Now, just in case Timothy might be tempted to look inside himself for some reasons why God might have saved him or why God might have called him, Timothy, uh, Paul quickly points out that this calling isn't not according to our works. Yes, we've been saved. Yes, we've been called to a holy calling. But it's not because of anything I did. But according to His own purpose and grace. Does anybody ever feel like they're not quite good enough for the ministry that we're called to? We all feel that way sometimes, don't we? Well, this ought to take care of that feeling of inadequacy, hadn't it? You were called to the job that you're doing. Yes, it's a mighty task. I'm sh- I am entrusted with the gospel of the saving power of Jesus Christ. What this whole world needs, whether they realize it or not, I'm entrusted with that. And I'm not inadequate to that job because God called me according to His purpose and according to His grace. I don't know why He called me, but He had a purpose and He did it through His grace. He knew what He was doing when He called me to do this. Did you know that all of the stress in life can be removed? I'm going to give you the secret to how to remove all stress in your life. If you simply realize that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And He is working according to His own plans each and every day. When you grasp that, you will not have stress in your life anymore. The reason you and I suffer stress, I'm not saying I don't have stress in my life. The reason you and I have stress is because we refuse to acknowledge that God is sovereign. He's in control. That's a... That's right. And that's a freeing thought, isn't it? That uh, God's working His own plan... He's got his own plan. I don't need to understand what his plan is. I just need to understand that I'm a part of it. He's working this. That's a freeing thought. What God started, he can finish. Just like Paul wrote in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Go ahead and read that yourself. But notice that God didn't just stop with saving us and calling us either. according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. He gave us grace too. He saved us, He called us, and He gave us grace. In fact, He gave us that grace in Christ Jesus before the world began. God is so in control of everything, so sovereign, that He gave out just what I would need before he even put time in motion. That's how sovereign my God is. Not only did he know what each task I was going to have to do, but he knew exactly how much of his power I was going to need to do those tasks that he knew about before time began. We're talking on a metaphysical level here, and I don't claim to understand it all. 
but our temporary difficulties, we all face little temporary difficulties. They may seem daunting in the moment, but they shrivel up when they're compared to a God who can measure out grace before time even began. And that's the power that we have access to if we'll only realize it. Verse 10. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're talking about that grace that uh, God's already measured out. He's given us grace in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. <coughs> Pardon me. Now, as we just spoke of, God's distribution of grace happened before the world began. And so, God determined to save us before the world began. Just like we can read, let's, let's read about that. Uh, to the same church, uh, Timothy's at the Ephesian church, right? So we're going to go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, and verse 4. We're jumping right in the middle of a thought, and I apologize for that again, but we haven't got a lot of time to look into a lot. He says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. All that happened ages ago. Our salvation, our calling, the measuring out of grace, God did all that ages ago, before time even began, before God said, let there be light. He'd already done all that. But now, verse 10, it says, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. The fact of our salvation happened long ago. But only now do we become aware of it, you see. Only now in this life do I become aware of it. It happened long ago. And only now do I see the effects of it. You see, it's a, simply a matter of perspective. It's just a matter of perspective. God can say what He says because He sees it all. I can say that at such and such a time I got saved because I only see my little bit. It's a matter of perspective. And this phrase here where it says, made manifest, now made manifest, it's a form of the Greek root word phaneru, which usually refers to something that needs to be divinely revealed. It needs to be revealed by God. If you read in other Greek classical literature, read Homer and things like that, it's things that one of the gods had to point out to human beings or something like that. Phaneru. And Paul uses a variance of this phrase some two dozen times. I'm not going to give you all of them. I haven't got time for it. But Paul uses it about two dozen times. But this revelation, this divine revelation, ought to encourage you and me today, don't you think? just as it encouraged Timothy 2,000 years ago. It's still fascinating to me that I can be encouraged by something that was written to one other individual 2,000 years ago. That's the power of God's Holy Spirit. Now let's think about this appearing of Jesus Christ. 
That's quite a thing to think about too, really. When Jesus came to earth, he did many things, right? We can read about him. Uh, Brother Fisher's working us through uh, the book of Matthew. But some of the greatest things that he did was to abolish death. Just think about that, because that's I, the reason I want to think about that is that's the one Paul brings up. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death. Of all the other things that he did, he abolished death. We see similar language. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 26. He says, The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And we can go to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Oop, uh, that's not what I'm looking for. Oh, yeah, yes it is. Hebrews chapter 2. I was in ch chapter 1. Here we go. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, he became flesh and blood like you and me, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. But he accomplished something else. He abolished death, and that's, that's enough right there. The one thing that every human being is afraid of is death. We're all going to face it. But another thing that he accomplished was that he brought life and immortality to light. He brought it to light. That uh, phrase, brought to light, is fotizo. You know, photon, the smallest particle of light, fotizo. He brought it to light. It's another term to describe something that only God can reveal. Only God can reveal that. Do you see what Paul's doing here? He's pointing out to Timothy that none of these things are things Timothy could have done on his own. Timothy, you can't abolish death. Timothy, you can't bring life to light. These have to happen through God alone, you see. And all of this happens, how? Through the gospel. The last phrase we're looking at here today. All this that we've talked about happens through the gospel. Now, I'll be honest with you. This is my closing thought, too. I'm not sure if this through the gospel means through the good news that Jesus taught. Possibly. Possibly or by the proclamation of the gospel through people like Paul and Timothy and myself? Maybe he means both. I really don't know. But what I do know is that back to our beginning thought, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Timothy might be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel. Timothy might be tempted to be ashamed of his buddy Paul, who's on death row in Rome. But the fact is, Paul says, the gospel is what brought all this stuff about in Timothy's life. 
you might be tempted to be ashamed of it. But don't you see what the gospel has done for you, Timothy? The gospel has saved you. It's given you a holy calling. It, through it, Christ abolished death. Through the gospel, Christ brought life to light. Don't be ashamed of that gospel, Timothy. And that right there is a thought worth hanging on to, isn't it? So let's close with that one, right? Might as well close on an upbeat, right? So there we are. I'm all done. Brother Fisher, could I call on you to close us in a word of prayer?
All right. Good morning, everyone. Oh, you know what would be good? Be good if I turn the projector on. All right. If you have a hymn book, you can grab it. If not, uh, hopefully the projector will come up here pretty quick. Uh, good morning. What a nice day out it is today. Oh, beautiful day. The Lord gives us something like this and uh, not raining. Kind of cool. Kind of awesome. Uh, thank the Lord just to start us out this morning. Uh, uh, Ruth gave me permission to thank all of you for your prayers and that it wasn't a kidney issue or anything like that. She just uh, had some muscle spasms and out of whack. So, uh, but God answers prayer. Amen. Uh, no, no bad thing there. And uh, keep Jake in prayer as we spoke this morning at Sunday school. Uh, he is at the Cheshire Fair and he usually works the booth with uh, the veterans, but he also spends a lot of time doing uh, sharing uh, his faith. So keep him in prayer this morning and these next couple of days as he's out there doing his uh, doing his thing. Keep Gainer in prayer, please, as uh, he's uh, struggling a little bit this morning with some things going on, and uh, we just uplift our brothers in Christ when uh, you know they're having some rough spots. So uh, thank the Lord for that. Turn if you would five fourteen. In my heart there rings a melody. I have a song that Jesus gave me, it was sent from heaven above. There never was a sweeter melody, with the melody of love. In my heart there rings a melody, there rings a melody with heaven's harmony. In my heart there rings a melody, there rings a melody of love. All right, I threw you all off. We'll do that in the second verse. Don't worry, we'll do the hold. Okay, verse two. I love the Christ who died on Calvary, for he washed my sins away. 
Hey, but within my heart a melody, and I know it's there to stay. In my heart there rings a melody, there rings a melody with heaven's harmony. In my heart there rings a melody, there rings a melody of love. Will be my endless theme in glory. With the angels I will sing. Will be a song with glorious harmony. When the courts of heaven ring. In my heart there rings a melody. There rings a melody with heaven's harmony. In my heart there rings a melody, there rings a melody of love. How many have a melody in your heart? Amen. I love that. There's a song that Jesus gave me. I hope you're that kind of person where as you're going through your daily walk that you just can't help but sing and praise and glorify God and he just puts a spring in your step with that in mind. In my heart there rings a melody, there rings a melody with heaven's harmony. In my heart there rings a melody, there rings a melody of love. Good singing. Let's do our pledges together. <laughs> I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty. I got to talk to you, Lee. You're going too fast for us, buddy. All right, let's do the pledges for the Christian flag. I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and to the Savior for whose kingdom it stands, one Savior, crucified, risen, and coming again, with life and liberty to all who believe. Amen. I love Lee so excited about saying the pledge all the time. That's great. Oh, man. Uh, we prayed, and it's something that's been a reminder to me. We were praying for Dan's brother, Andrew, last week, and uh, thank the Lord he had a good time here with the family. Um, but it is a great reminder that there so many of our friends and family members are out uh, in armed forces right now serving all around the world. And we had shared the fact that last week that uh, probably uh, at this time point, because we're not in any active warfare, one of the greatest tragedies is the loss of life in our military is mostly due to suicides at this point. And we need to be able to keep our servicemen in prayer, servicemen and women as they're out there putting their life on the line. It's very stressful. Uh, so just keep that in prayer. And um, then we all also talk about our missionaries who uh, may be not out fighting a physical enemy, but they are certainly fighting a spiritual warfare. And uh, Dan had mentioned this morning uh, some over 4,000 Christians being killed just this last week in one country. Okay, uh, cross there are those who are giving up their lives on a daily basis that we have no clue. Uh, if you listen to the Voice of the Martyrs or, or read, get the newspapers, uh, get the Voice of the Martyr publications or things, um, there are thousands of people 
that are dying for their faith uh, every day. So just keep that in your prayers that uh, although we are seeing frustrating things right around us in our local area, the, uh, the message of the gospel and the spiritual warfare is worldwide. And we need to keep our brothers and sisters in Christ in prayer. We need to keep our soldiers in prayer. Amen. Brother Dan, with that in mind, would you guys bring us to God's throne, please? Amen. All right. As you remain standing, there's a song we picked out of the old AA hymnal, so that means we don't have it in front of you. So the words are going to be up here on the screen. Um, some of these old favorites, we uh, don't sing them as much as we, often, uh, as we should. And uh, this one's called Our Best. I think some of you may remember. If not, uh, hang on as we learn it together. Amen. Hear ye the Master's call, give me thy best. For be it great or small, that is his test. Do then the best you can, not for reward, not for the praise of men for the Lord. Every work for Jesus will be blessed, but he asks from everyone his best. Our talents may be few, these may be small, but unto him is due our best of Wait not for men too long, heed not their slight. Winning the smile of God brings its delight. Aiming the good and true goes unblessed all that we think or do be it our best every work for Jesus will be blessed but he asks from everyone his best our talents may be few, these may be 
listened by. Workmen and work must face with things on high. Oh, that we in that day find rest, sweet rest, which God has promised those who do their best. Every work for Jesus will be but he asked from everyone his best. Our talents may be few, these may be small, but unto him is to our best, our all. Amen. I was so into it, I was singing the wrong words. But, amen. I love that old song. Everything we should do for the Lord, we should do our best. Amen. With our whole heart, 100%. All right, you may be seated. By way, a couple of announcements. Uh, if you have your copy of the bulletin, please uh, note a few things in here. Uh, birthdays and anniversaries. Uh, birthdays in particular. Jan's is coming up. Delena's. Uh, Pastor Dan's birthday and Jim Yetzi's birthday on the same day, uh, so good day to be born. Also, do not forget next Sunday, okay, next Sunday after, is it, yeah, I'm getting it right in my brain, right, yes, okay, fellowship lunch at Kimball's in Jaffrey, all right, so if anybody is interested in doing that, you don't have to go, uh, but everybody says, uh, you got to take at least one trip to Kimball's in the summer. Uh, so this is a way you can do it if you haven't already done it. Um, so join us. Please uh, work out your own transportation to get there. You may carpool or things like that, uh, but we're not coordinating the carpooling. <laughs> All right, does that make sense? All right, thank What is an Oh, I forgot. Oh, Jane uh, handed me this today. Uh, she said she found one of my marbles out in the yard. So I told her to keep looking because I've lost quite a few of them. I forgot it was in my pocket. All right, reaching in there. So, all right, so keep those things in your prayers, please. Uh, there will be no Wednesday night Bible study on the 23rd. And then uh, keep my family and I in prayer as uh, we are traveling that weekend. Uh, my brother is getting remarried on that weekend in Virginia. So just keep that in prayer. Uh, so Brother Dan will be c covering uh, Sunday morning, uh, but it's in Virginia. We are not flying. We are driving because uh, I don't know if I'm ever going to fly again. I watch some of the shenanigans you see nowadays. The people get trapped inside the airplane and then go nuts on you. And, uh, I don't know if I'm ready for that anymore. But anyway, so uh, thank the Lord. Uh, many of you have prayed for my brother and uh, his family for a while because uh, with the loss of my sister-in-law a few years back. But thank the Lord he has uh, found another young, I should say young lady, she's younger, in her, younger than him, uh, lady uh, to uh, connect with again and uh, uh, start another wonderful relationship. So uh, keep that in your prayers. And I'm not performing the ceremony, I'm getting to stand in the ceremony. Uh, kind of be interesting for me. I'm going to be standing behind him going. 
wanting to say things, but, you know, oh, that's going to be tough. But, yeah, he said, I didn't want you to be busy that day doing the ceremony. I want you to stand. So I'm like, all right, that'll be fine. So uh, other than that, keep in prayer uh, those we've had uh, requests for, and thank you for your diligence and praying for one another. Anything else I'm missing that I want to uh, make sure we get covered? Okay. Uh, turn, if you would, one more time to hymn number 518. 518 together. It'll be on the screen behind us. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. Since I started for the kingdom, since my life he controls, since I gave my heart to Jesus, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. The more that I love him, more love he bestows. Each day is like heaven, my heart overflows. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. Every need he is supplying, plenteous grace he bestows. Every day my way gets brighter, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. The more that I love him, more love he bestows. Each day is like heaven, my heart overflows the longer I serve him the sweeter he grows amen thank you you may be seated 